This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41, in a very short uh, amount of passages. There's a lot for us to unpack. And so this morning, we have witnessed the baptism of Natalie. We've regarded in the orchestra this morning that uh, the curse of sin is no longer, and we've heard how deep the Father's love for us. So we see and are reminded constantly of God's grace that is so sufficient for us. This morning, we're going to dive in and look right at Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41. Let me read it for us, and then we will uh, begin the process of unpacking it together. John said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon speak uh, evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of cold water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, we need your help. We need your guidance as always, your leadership as we study your word. Uh, we don't want to study it with our hearts and minds closed off, nor do we want to study and uh, open your word without asking your spirit to be upon our hearts to understand, to perceive and to apply what your word has for us. So every time we study, whether privately or corporately, we want to ask that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. Would you allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to you, Lord, because you are our rock, you are my rock and my redeemer. There is no one else by which salvation can be found other than in your name. So we ask your leadership and your guidance now in these next few moments that we have together. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Number one on your outline, if you've got that here, you can follow along with me. Number one is the disciples miss the ministry. The disciples are going to miss the ministry here. Now, let's be reminded of the context by which we're studying this passage in Mark. This is why it is so good at times for us to, you know, pick out passages to read and to read different things and different topics at different times in our lives. But it's also incredibly important for us as we study God's Word to look at it in the context by which it's written. Right, it's good for us to read systematically and chronologically God's Word so we know different themes that emerge. And here we find another theme, right? Mark chapter 9, 38, we see that uh, the disciples, John in particular, is going to stop this man from healing. But let's just backtrack just for a moment because I think there's some very good context behind what's happening here in John, or in the book of Mark. So right before John is going to go up and tell Jesus, hey, you need to stop this healing thing, or stop uh, this man, stop this healing thing that you're doing, we're going to be reminded that Peter, James, and John just ascended the Mount of Transfiguration, right? So tuck that away. They've just ascended the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and had this incredible moment with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Awesome moment. They wanted to stay there on the mountain because it was so good, right? They come down the mountain. What do they find? The disciples unable to heal this man of this uh, demon possession, and so what do they do besides comforting and healing and ministering to this man? What are they doing? Arguing, right? They're arguing. And so Jesus gets frustrated, right? How long do I have to put up with this faithful generation, right? And so he heals the man. They have this moment of teaching to say only by prayer can this type of uh, difficulty be removed. And so they go from there believing that they've learned their lesson. And what do they argue about next? Who's the best, right? Remember that whole thing we talked about last week? man. All right, so last week we talked about who was the greatest, right? And we talked all about that, and Jesus gave them this lesson, right, over who is the greatest, and they talked about 
How are you great? You become the servant of all. Y'all remember that, that ringing a bell? All God's people would please say, be with me now, all right? Come on. And so they're studying about who would be the greatest and talking about you got to be the least to be the greatest. And so you would find them believing that at this point they're going to be understanding and, and tracking with Jesus, right? And so here they are after having just failed to release this boy of his demon, right? Think about that moment, the disciples unable to heal a demon-possessed boy. In the midst of all the people, they failed. They struggle with who's the greatest. And then they come to this moment that they're trying to stop somebody else from healing. Right? The nerve. The nerve of these failed disciples to try to stop other people from doing the good healing. That's the context that we find ourselves in. And I want to take just a moment because in that, when we are looking in light of the context by which we're driving, again here in this moment, you could think, could these disciples not get any more dull, right? We've already been there. Jesus has already called them dull, but here we find them getting duller by the moment, right? almost like a pencil that you've been writing on for a long time and you need that sharpener, but you just keep on writing. It seems somehow the disciples get duller and duller and duller. I mean, they're arguing about who is the greatest amongst them, and here they are failing to heal a boy with a demon possession to then go and try to obstruct someone healing uh, in Jesus' name. And it's at that point that the Lord hit me as I was studying this, how good this feels. How good at times it is to step back and see the failure, the complete failure of the disciples over and over and over and over, and my goodness, over again. Where you would say, Jesus, you've got to find some better dudes. You've got to find some better guys who are not going to argue about who's the greatest. You've got to find some better guys who are going to get it, who are going to be there, be your prayer partners right there, who are not going to mess up continually. But... Jesus continues to tenderly, lovingly, carefully allow these guys to walk with him. And if that doesn't encourage you, right? If that doesn't encourage you, that over and over and over again, the disciples probably are like, hey, we're going to get it next time. We're going to get this thing next time. We're going we're to figure this thing out, right? Peter, you had the Jesus get behind me Satan moment. One of us is going to get this thing right. We're going to have an A-plus type moment here eventually. And it's there that you feel God continually reminds them, my grace is sufficient for you. These are, I've called you, I've appointed you to do great things. Continues to just keep walking with me, right? Jesus continues to allow these guys to walk with him. What do the disciples do? They keep walking with him. The best thing the disciples do is they just keep on walking with Jesus. They keep on failing, they keep on messing up, but what do they do? They keep on walking with Jesus. And how do I know that God is not done with you yet? Do you know with 100% confidence, with everything and every fiber of my soul, I can tell you today that God is not done with you yet. And you know how I know? Because for the most part, from what I can tell, most of y'all are still breathing this morning. You're still alive. And if you are still alive this morning, if there is a pulse still on your wrist and blood pumping through your hearts, then God is not and he is not done with you yet. And so the process of sanctification is still ongoing in your heart. You are not perfect, all God's people would say at this point. I was expecting a little more of a resounding amen because I can tell you I am by no means perfect. And the process of sanctification is still very much ongoing in my heart. 
And if I am still breathing, God is still not done with me. The disciples, God is still not done with them. One step forward, two steps back. Right, a great moment on the Mount of Transfiguration and then a step back in the moment of arguing. A great moment of teaching about what prayerfulness is all about and then a step backward to say who's the greatest. A step forward, two steps back. You feel that at times? Lord calling you and you feel the Lord's leadership in your life. You just feel like you're pressing forward and then take a step back. Like you're pressing into Jesus and then a step back. And here you see the beauty of the disciples and Jesus that at no point does Jesus say, okay, guys, that's it. The grace bucket is done. I have found the end of it. I'm done. Right? Moms and dads, you've been there before in the minivan where you say, I'm, I'm done. Right? Pulling the car over, you're walking home. You've done it. We've kind of done it. All right? It's okay. You've done it. Your grace bucket is done. And you say, we're, we're, I'm, I'm done. I'm done for the day. Right? No more questions. I'm going to my room. I'm done. Thanks be to God, he has not yet exhausted his grace bucket on the disciples. And if he has not exhausted his grace bucket on the disciples, I can assure you, he has not exhausted it on you. Not done yet. And so here, when, when John would go and try to stop this man who's having success from healing the people. Let's take a moment and remember who John is, right? John, called one of the sons of thunder, right? You get that nickname, that's pretty cool, right? Son of thunder. I'll, I'll take it, right? Son of thunder, pretty cool. So John is the son of thunder, and here he is coming out saying, wait, we tried to stop him. Let's remind ourselves what John did in Luke chapter 9. Remember John, Luke chapter 9? You can turn over there if you want to. It's a pretty cool story. Kids love it. John, Luke chapter 9, 53 through 55. But the people in the Samaritan village did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw that the people did not respond, what did, what did James and John do? Hey, hey, Jesus, we got an idea. All right, these people are not responding. Can we call down fire from heaven to consume them? Is that an appropriate response? Hey, Jesus, these people, they're not getting it. Can we, I remember back in the day, something about Elijah, that fire, can we do that? Just, can we? And what did Jesus do? He rebuked him. Right? Come on, come on, guys. Let's, let's go to a different town. Just calm down, right? Thanks be to God. I don't call the fire down on you guys, right? So here they go. And here you have James and John. Thunder, thunder here. And John, hang out. Say, Jesus, can we call the fire down from heaven? Disciples missing this ministry. And let's go to number two for just a moment. Me versus he. Me versus he. Now, in this context that we're in this morning, we see that this healer, is, is doing a pretty good job, right? I got to believe that if, if John and the disciples are seeing this man healing people of their infirmities and their calamities and their demon possessions, and if he was doing a bad job, I would think the disciples would just keep on walking, right? If he's not doing a good job, if he's a poor healer, then James and John and the disciples are just going to keep on walking because he's of, of no consequence. But we see, and we're going to see here later, that this healer, this man who is healing, casting out demons in the name of Jesus, is doing a mighty good job. And so I want you to try to activate your imagination and put yourself right here. Think about for a moment all the, the healings that Jesus has done. Right? When Jesus heals someone, what's the usual occurrence? Does the person walk away like, oh, that was cool. Thanks, guys. I'm going to walk on over here. I'll be done. This is a cool healing process. I think I'll just walk on over to my home and just quiet down. Of course not, right? What are they doing? They're jumping up. They're running around. They're jumping. They're praising the Lord. Everything good has happened, right? They're pumped up because they've just been healed of a long-term infirmity. 
And so don't you know in this moment with this healer, this unsanctioned healer, as we'll call it, that he's healing multitudes of people. The people are rejoicing. They're praising the Lord. Everything good has happened. And here is John. You think they had a, a disciple meeting where they sit around and say, hey, hey, this, this guy over here, he's healing. I don't think, I don't think Jesus, he's not one of us. You know what? Hey, John, why don't you go tell him to stop? And you think John walking up was just like, I got this. I'm not going to do the Peter thing. All right, Jesus is going to be happy with me. All right, I'm going. I'm going to do it. In the midst of all this celebration of people being healed, all the goodness of, in Jesus' name, he's being healed. John is going to be the guy to walk up to him and say, you need to stop. Like walking into the OR with somebody having heart surgery, telling the doctor, hey, you need to stop. Right? You don't need to be healing, right? You need to stop, doctor. You're not doing a good job, right? Stop. On, on my authority, you need to stop. Can you imagine John walking into the celebration of, in Jesus' name, healings and people celebrating what God has done, and John walking up, believing he's coming on the name of Jesus to say, hey, you're not one of us. And can't you see him walking back to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, there was this guy out there. He was healing people in your name. I told him to stop. I got it. I took care of it. Don't you worry, Jesus. I got it. And he probably goes back just feeling really good about himself because he's had this moment, right? I, I've stopped that person from doing that stuff because he's not one of us, right? We stopped him. He's not one of us. You see John feeling real good about himself, feeling like I, I've got my A+. Plus. I finally, I've got this. I'm protecting Jesus. And instead of a applause from Jesus, Jesus looks at him and said, don't stop him. For one who does a mighty work in my name will, be able, will not be able to soon speak evil after me. For the one who's not against us is for us. Now I want to pause for a moment because in this, there's an attitude in John and the disciples that can be at times an attitude of the church and the attitude of churchgoers. That we can have this attitude that we've got the we've got the we've got the run on ministry in our city and amongst the world. We're a hundred and ninety-three-year-old church. We've been right here in the center of downtown Montgomery, the oldest Bible, or excuse me, Baptist church here in the city of Montgomery. At times we can believe that we've got it all figured out. And we can look and say, hey, that church down the road, they don't know what they're doing, right? They don't have it going on. Right, at times we can look and say, hey, hey, that church that's giving out food, don't you know we have the caring center, right? We've got it. Then you give to our ministries because we've got it going on. You see, the spirit here is that there are incredible Bible-believing, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving churches in our city. Many of them are great brothers and friends of mine personally that are doing an incredible work here and amongst our city. And at times, we can become territorial to say, hey, we got, the, we got the, the center on this stuff, that we've got this thing figured out. But can I tell you, we should rejoice when God's people do God's work amongst our city for the good of our city, for the good of the gospel. And at times, when we can get so centered on how we do things in our church, in our context, you can see Jesus saying, we should celebrate with the churches who believe and trust in Jesus, who hold the historic faith and the gospel centrality. We should rejoice when they give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Would Russell look at another church that's doing ministry to 
to schools and their, and their football teams. She would say, hey, that was our idea. You can't, that's our idea. No, would we rejoice and share ideas and say, this is good. Let's do this together. And there's a spirit that can so easily creep in of jealousy, of pride, of our boundaries that we put up to say our way are the highway. And can I tell you, there are some incredible churches right here in our city that are meeting together to worship the same Jesus that we are celebrating. And I want us to be reminded that as you go out and you talk to other people at different churches and they say, I go to this church or that church, they trust in Jesus and they love the Lord, that we should celebrate and be glad that they are in church, right? Amen? Yeah. Glad that they are in church and worshiping the Lord. And I'll talk about in a moment that we, we don't want to open the net and just say, well, this is just anybody going to anything is all good, that there's, there's truth here, that we believe and trust and we celebrate gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches when they are fulfilling their calling of trusting in Jesus and celebrating Him in our city. So, so with that, let me give you three places in Scripture that you can point to to, to see this affirmation of what Jesus is doing. Let's, just, let's go back in this me versus he mentality to Numbers chapter 11, 26 through 29 on your, on your outline. Eldad and me dad. Put that on your Jeopardy board for words you thought you would say this morning. Eldad and me dad, right? Numbers chapter 11, 26 through 29. In a very similar setting to what's happening in Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41. In a very similar setting that at times gives context to what we're learning this morning. Let me read it for us. If you want a Bible drill over to 11, Numbers 11, I would strongly encourage you to do that. But I'll read it. Now two men remained in the camp. One named Eldad and the other named Medad. That's the uh, southern pronunciation, I do believe. And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop him. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp in much the same way. Moses had cried out to the Lord for more prophets to be risen up. And here 70 have risen up and 68 are prophesying in this place. But two, Eldad and Medad, are not prophesying in the proper spot. Get that right. They're not prophesying in the proper spot. And so here comes Joshua running to Moses saying, Moses, you've got to stop these guys. They're not prophesying in the right spot. They can't be doing this. They're not, pro- they're not doing the right thing in the right spot. And, and Moses just reminds them, much like Jesus does. We talk about Jesus being the fulfillment of so much that we see in the Old Testament. We see whispers of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Here we see a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do in Mark chapter 9. That when Jesus says, hey, this, this guy has obviously been marked by the gospel, marked by transformed by my truth. He's ministering in my name. He's healing people. Moses, in much the same way, would look to Joshua and say, were it not be that everybody would have his spirit upon them? You're worried about where they're prophesying, but the reality is that they are prophesying through the spirit. Let's celebrate the reality. They are prophesying in the spirit. Let's say that's a good thing. Let's rejoice over that. 
where Joshua is going to stop them from prophesying, Moses is saying, this is good. God's spirit rests on them. How are you missing that God's spirit is resting upon them? And here you have John, letter B, John and the unsanctioned healer. John and the unsanctioned healer. And I want to I zero in on this for just a moment because I don't want us to mishear what I'm trying to say. Jesus says, do not stop him, for one who does a mighty work in my name will be, not be able to soon afterwards speak evil of him. For the one who is not against us is for us. Now, we may have an inclination to believe all that it takes to receive the kingdom of God is just to not be against God. And if you were to take just this passage of Scripture, and I have heard it preached before in different contexts, not this one, that as long as you're not antithetical to the gospel, as long as you're not anti-Christianity, anti-Jesus, you've got a reward, right? You've got heaven. If you do some charity work, give some cup of cold water in Jesus' name here and there, as long as you are not anti-gospel, as long as you're not anti-Jesus and openly hostile towards it, as this would seem to believe us, for the one who is not against us, you're for us. Is that what it takes, just to not be against the gospel, not be against Jesus? I think you see right before this, if you have read Mark chapter 8, you see that, what did Jesus say in Mark chapter 8? Anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those who would seek to have life must lose it. Jesus would also say in another place that those who are not with me are against me. And so Jesus is not saying this some universalism, this spirituality that would say if you were just spiritual and give a cup of cold water here and there, then you can make it into heaven. He's obviously not saying this universal spiritual form of just not being against me and you can get into heaven. Because you see him say, those who are not against me, those who are not with me are against me. That there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. That Jesus is not offering a, a simple neutrality that if you just stay neutral in the whole spiritual game, you'll make it into heaven. We see that throughout the entirety of Scripture, that we're not talking just a universal spirituality. So how do we know when Jesus is talking in Mark chapter 9, 38 through 40, that he means someone who's been marked by the gospel? Let's go again to Acts chapter 19, 13 through 16, the sons of Siva. You can look up in Acts chapter 19 how to spell that. Sorry, we don't have a screen behind you, but the sons of Siva. Acts chapter 19, 13 says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish pre high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So if you, if you take these three passages here, then in one context, Mark chapter 9, you've got this man healing in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus' name. And Jesus is not upset with it. He encourages it. So surely this man is not just walking around saying, hey, out of him in Jesus' name, out of him in Jesus' name. This man surely has been touched by Jesus and his heart affected by Jesus in a real and powerful way. That this man is following Jesus. Because here you see in Acts chapter 19, the sons of Siva trying to do the same. Hey, 
in Jesus' name out, in Jesus' name out. And it is not working so much so that they are overpowering him and that they are fleeing naked and wounded because of the power in these demons. I think Alistair Begg summed this up so beautifully when it comes to these three points in this moment of the unsanctioned healer. The question was not, was this man part of the group, but was his allegiance to Jesus? Let me say that again. Alistair Begg would say, the question was not, was this man part of the group, as the disciples were claiming that this man was not part of us. He's not part of our group, right? He's not part of us. Alistair Begg would say, the question was not, was he part of the group, but was his allegiance to Jesus? Because remember who is part of the group. Judas Iscariot, the traitor, is part of the group. So the question is not, are you part of the group, but is your allegiance towards Jesus? And for this man, the the question was not, hey, are we going to be in the group? Are we going to be in the right denomination? Are we going to be in the right church? Are we going to be a member of the right church? But is our allegiance towards Jesus? Are we trusting in Jesus with our lives? We can be in the right groups. We can be in the right church. We can be in the right setting, but our allegiance cannot be on Jesus. And that is the central question that we always constantly come back to. Is our allegiance to Jesus? Be in all the right places, in all the right groups, participating in all the right things. But your allegiance cannot be on Jesus. And to hear the sons of Siva struggling in Jesus' name. And so let me just give a simple check on the back of your outline to help us and to help myself as I walk forward. A simple check, two things. One, check our motivation and check our opposition. Check, check our motivation as we walk in this world, as we we jealous of other people and other situations and other contexts, or are we rejoicing at others' good, and f- or do we find ways to criticize? Are we pride-filled in our motivation? And then check our opposition, recognizing that we are fighting against the prince of this present darkness, and we are we're on fire to extinguish his flaming arrows, to quench the work of the evilness in this city, state, nation, world, home, wherever we are. So we check our motivation and we check our opposition. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pause and recognize that there is a lot here in these passages. We don't want to miss the ministry. We don't want to be in opposition to your ministry. We don't want to be in opposition to what you have done. So we rejoice, Lord, this morning with with your activity in our city. We rejoice as we recognize that you are at work amongst our city. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches in our city. We thank you for those pastors who are faithfully preaching your word, singing your truth, standing up for truth in our city. Thank you for those who are handing out cups of cold water all throughout our city, meeting human needs in the name of Jesus, partnering together to alleviate suffering and needs in your name in our city. Lord, thank you for your grace that is so sufficient and overwhelming. We thank you that we feel at times like the disciples, that we continue to take a step forward and a couple steps back. Thank you that your grace continues to lead us on and your tenderheartedness continues with compassion to aid us as we walk forward. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.